Well, that was fun. Don't you like having Jesus around? <laughs> I love it. Well, I, I trust you're enjoying the sunshine. Um, this is, this is my, this is my favourite thing ever, to be able to sit out on an evening and it, it still be light for a little bit and uh, not be shivering is absolutely fantastic. But according to my, um, my phone, the temperature could be about to drop on Monday, which means tonight could be um, your last really, really hot one for at least for a few days. Um, and that's good news because we have our welcome evening on Monday and I wouldn't want you to miss your sunbathing or moonbathing as it might be. So if you're new around here and you've never been to one of the welcome evenings, come along Monday night. You can sign up uh, when you leave today. Let us know you're coming and you can find out all about the church, meet some of the staff, how you can get plugged in. So Monday night, 7.30. Okay. So many of you are starting a new life with Jesus. In fact, actually all of us start new lives with Jesus every single day. His mercies are new every morning. Every single day, we, 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 start, we start afresh with Him. That's part of the goodness of God. But for some of you, this journey really is, is new and you're, you're asking, okay, what now? Now He's in my life, what do I do? And Jesus, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the reason he says that is they're the way to life. So what I want to talk about over the next few weeks, a little bit about how do we do that? What does that look like? So if you have your Bibles, find Matthew 5. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, as I mentioned. That's fine. And what we've been doing as we've been reading the Bible, we've been standing. So why don't you stand as we read these few passages? I know it's up, down, up, down, but if you're like me, you need the exercise. So, so Matthew 5, verse 17. Here we go. Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfil. For assuredly, I say to you, Till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Why don't you take a seat? What's Jesus saying? The first thing He's saying is, don't mess with the book. Do not mess with this book. He says, not a jot or a tittle is to be changed. Every word in this book can bring you life when you read it with your friend, the Holy Spirit. Every jot or tittle, Jesus says. You know, why, are we, why, do we, why have we started standing when we read the book? Because it is the Word of God. It's not a good idea. It's His Word to us. Since the beginning of time, the devil has tried to, to stamp out this book. 
whether it's wars, um, whether it's persecution, he's trying to stop people reading this book. And as, as, as people read this book, their lives are changed as they encounter the Holy Spirit. This book holds the secrets of God. It will enable you to find eternal life. If you, look, if you live by this book and teach others to do the same, Jesus says, you will be called great in the Kingdom of God. That's good, right? That's what we want. So what is the difference between a jot and a tittle? I, I've, I've got a new version, the uh, new, uh, new King James Version. I didn't know what a tittle was. Do you know what a tittle is? It's funny how English words kind of go out of fashion, isn't it? And so I looked it up. A jot is something very small that you kind of, that's why we say we jot a note down. It's something we jot down. But a tittle is something even smaller. What Jesus is saying is that every word, Every phrase in this book is God's Word. He's saying, don't mess with it. This is my Word. Rather, receive my Word into your life. Because the Holy Spirit wants to lead all of us into His life. But this book is not God. We do not worship the Father, the Son and the Holy Scriptures. We worship the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit who teaches us the Scriptures that leads us to Jesus every time. Every page in this book points to Jesus. Every jot or tittle can transform our lives when we read it with the Holy Spirit. And what I wanna really encourage us to do is to learn to read the Bible with the Holy Spirit. To just as we, we worship with the presence of God. We pray, and our prayer is two-way. Jesus is going to come to that in a, in a, a few verses' time. As the, 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 the Word of God uh, is, is, is designed to be read in the presence of God. And, and, you know, one of the ways I've learned to read the Word in the presence of God is I'll often ask questions. There's lots of things in this book I don't understand. So as I'm reading, I'll, I'll, I'll just start talking to the Holy Spirit. Like, how can this work out in my life? I don't understand. Explain it. Unpack it to me. And you know, you can go to your friends. You can go to, to books. But you know, I think the first place we're meant to go is to the Holy Spirit, who is placed within us, who will lead us into all truth. So that's the first thing. Don't mess with the book. Number two, Jesus has come to fulfil, to fulfil the law and the prophets, but how? So he fulfills the law. When Jesus came to earth, he lived a life without breaking the law. And the reason he did that was to show us that God is right. You see, God isn't asking us something impossible of us. Oh, nobody could could do that. No, we chose to turn from him, but Jesus chose to walk with the Father. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And that is the life that Jesus invites all of us into. He says, repent. And repent just means turn around. 
Come, follow me. Prove that God is right. His ways are right. Don't argue with Him. Receive Him into your life. You know, Job is one of my, I love, I love the character of Job. And most of us can read the story of Job and see you know, some of the difficulties that have come into our, our lives in his life. Hopefully not all of them at the same time. But I love it when Job gets the, uh, the chance to question God. God says, come on then, ask, ask me. And, and, and as, as Job starts the question, God says, where were you when I created the heavens? When I created the earth? And, and the, the, after, after a chapter of the Lord, you know, where were you? Job kind of goes, I put my hand over my mouth. I'm not going to speak. Why? God is right. And then Jesus says, so I've come to fulfil the law and the prophets. And how does he fulfil the prophets? By inaugurating the kingdom of God to which every prophet was pointing to. You see, the plan of God was always that we would walk with him, that we would have this personal relationship with God. It started in the garden, but we chose to go a different way. So Jesus comes saying, come, follow me. All you who are hungry, all you who are thirsty, come and walk with me. Follow me and you will find life. You see, the prophets point to Jesus, the salvation of God where he sets his people free. That's why when Jesus, Jesus comes to earth, he starts healing the sick because what he's doing is he's demonstrating the rule and reign of God is now here. I've come to undo the works of the devil and sickness comes from the fall. So when Jesus comes, he undoes his works by healing the sick and the, the one of the marks of the church that is filled with the Spirit of God is the healing of the sick. And that's why he's pushing us into it and leading us into it. And we're learning how to heal the sick. You see, the, where the rule and reign of God is, the chains, the, 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 the things that hold us down are broken so that we are free to live. We're free to make our own choice. So, number three. Without law, there is no grace. Law is good, right? We all like law. You know, sometimes people tell me, you know, the trouble is with the Bible, it's just full of things I can't do. That's not how I see it. Law is really good. So let me give you some for instances. When, when we all drive home after, after we finished here, aren't you really pleased that the law says you have to drive on the left? Because if everyone just did what they want, now I've seen some of you leave the car park and I know that some of you do do what you want, but, but aren't you pleased that actually when we're out of the car park and on the road, we, we all drive on the left? Now you might go, but it's not fair. The French, they drive on the right. And let me tell you, the French do a lot of things, but we're not living in France. We're living in England and so the law says you have to drive on the left. And because we drive on the left, I don't get as, into as much trouble as I would get into if I was driving on the right. Because if I just do my own thing on the road, everyone gets cross with me and things start to unravel. Let me give you another example. It's a little bit more fun. Football. 
I know nothing about football, so I, I, I realize I'm, I'm given an example where I, I have a weakness of understanding, but I do understand that it is a game of rules. Now, you have, you, the, the law of football says you have to score in your opponent's net. It'd be much easier to score in your own net. But it's, the law says you have to score in your opponent's net. The, the law says you have to keep the ball in play on the pitch. I know it'd be way more fun if you could just do what you wanted. You're not allowed to touch it with your hands. And then the law that nobody understands is the offside law, which I still, I mean, who knows what that's about. But it's law that you have to play within the framework. Otherwise, you can't say you won. Well, you know, well, I, I, I didn't want to kick the ball in my opponent's net. I thought I'd just kick it in my net. I won. I did what I want. I'm free. You know, I, I, I grabbed the ball and I carried, I ran to the, to the other person's goal. No, that's rugby. Wrong game. You, you see, law is good because it, it gives us a framework. Judges says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And the problem is, when there is no king, people do whatever they want. But Jesus has come. The king has come. And he said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments and I will lead you into abundant life. So when Jesus in, this, in the Sermon on the Mount says, anyone who breaks my commands and teaches others to do likewise will be killed least in the kingdom of heaven. Now the word break there literally means untie, unravel. So what, what he's saying is, when you start to mess with this book, everything starts to unravel. Everything starts to lose form. When you, when you unravel God's Word, everything in life starts to unravel and crumble. And that's exactly what we see in our society because we have turned from the Lord. Now, what, what we say is, well, I'm not that bad. I'm okay. You should see him down the road. Now, he's really bad. But what Jesus says is, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, they would have understood because what we, we see is, oh, just you know, lots of hypocrites. You have to understand, the Pharisees and the scribes were really diligent in their Bible and law keeping. They did it all and more. In fact, they, sometimes they said, there's not enough rules. We need more rules. And so it, it had got to the place where they'd added so many rules and it was so strict, no one could keep the law. And then Jesus comes and says, you need to do better. Oh my goodness. It's interesting though, when he talks to the Pharisees and the scribes, he says this, he says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me, but you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. What does he mean? 
You see, in their pursuit and the study of the law, they failed to see God when he showed up, when he stood in front of them. Because, because their pursuit of life and what they thought was right had, had so unraveled things around them that when Jesus stood in front of them, they couldn't see him. And you know, have you noticed things are going a little crazy in the world at the moment? Can I, let me just give you an example of what I think is a strange. A few months ago, I was listening to the news and there was a, a lady who had terminated her pregnancy at full term. So she'd self-aborted at full term. And um, she was arrested and she was sentenced to prison. There was a massive outcry. How dare she be sent to prison? It's her body. She can do whatever she wants with it. It doesn't, it doesn't, it, it's up to her what she did. How dare you send her to prison? We need the law changed. We, we need the law changed so that people can do whatever they want and they don't go to prison. Two weeks ago, another lady was found guilty of killing babies. She was a nurse. The babies were three or four weeks older than the one the previous lady had aborted. And the whole world is going, throw her into jail, lock her up, never let her see the light of day. We never want to see her again. She's horrible. She's terrible. Do you see a disconnect? I'm just like, hold it, what, is, what, is, what has happened? You see, when we say it's okay to kill a young life, things start to unravel the other way. And then we're one, well, how do we get, how did we get here? Well, the reason we got here is because of here. There is an unravelling. Some of you, I, I'm, I'm off, my, off my notes at the moment. You know, when, when we were, were young, we, um, and in the process of having children, we had, uh, we had Joel, and that was reasonably straight, straightforward. And then, sorry, it's been difficult ever since, did you say? No, <laughs> I wasn't going to say that bit. <laughs> Speak, for Speak for yourself. Okay, uh, um, it was a little bit more traumatic for Juliet having Joel. I, 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 look, a number of you get married young, you're having babies and that. I, it's very traumatic for the guys as well. Because we have to sit there, I could tell, whoa, you know. <laughs> you know so just, just give us a break. I, I, remember, I remember the midwife, Julia was getting quite annoyed because she said, Oh, oh, Steve, are you okay, dear? Because I was looking a bit pale. And I said, oh, I don't know. She said, you better sit down and rest. So I thought, oh, thank you. <laughs> that did not go down well. Anyway, we, had, we were having babies totally. Look now where you've left me. Um, so, and, and then we, we, we had a number of miscarriages. And some of them were, were and, and, and one of them, what happened was that uh, Juliet's waters broke but the baby didn't die. 
And we were quite, a, it was a good term in. It wasn't full term, but it was a, a good term in. And so we went to the hospital and said, well, you just terminate the, the pregnancy and we'll ju- just do that. And you see, the problem for us was that's not our choice. That's not our choice. That's God's choice. We don't get the choice to choose when people live and die. He does. He's the judge. Now, that wasn't an easy choice because we, what, now this one really was Juliet, because, because she had to carry a baby that was alive and we didn't know it was going to live or die. And we believed for a miracle, but we didn't get that miracle. And then about four weeks, four weeks, the baby died and Julia had to deliver. But it wasn't our choice. We trust the Lord. He is our deliverer and we walked with him. And we went through a number and there was a a, a really tricky time, but we did get our miracle because when Emma was born three months early and, and everything was touch and go, she survived, she's with us. But in heaven, I, I believe we've populated heaven. I got some more kids. Do you know, I, I don't know why the Lord didn't, I, they may have thought four barbers could cause way too much trouble down here. You know, I don't know what it was. But what I'm, what, what I'm saying is when you mess here, things start to unravel. What's God's answer? Paul tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard, Romans 3. Our sin towards God is great. All of us have gone our own way. Every single one of us. None is without fault. We are nowhere near the righteousness of even the Pharisees. So there is no hope. God has sent his prophets to us over and over again to to warn us. In in creation, he's put his fingerprints everywhere, the Bible says, so that we will know that there is a creator God who made us. And we we put it aside and we say, no, we don't trust in God. We we, we trust in um, the, the, the nonsense of evolution. So our lives and society unravel. There was, there was a judge once who was holding court. He was a typical parent who tried to raise his kids okay, but he had a son that had gone wayward, been in trouble with the police a lot. Um, he warned him, helped him, did whatever he could for him. So one morning he's sitting court and on the, the roster of the people that are going to stand before him, his son's name's there. And as his son gets led in by the, um, the officials and board up, there's a little tittering around and go, it's not going to be fair. He's going to be lenient. He's just going to let him off. And as the charges are read of, of drugs and possession and stealing and it's all getting read out before the judge and he has to, he has to rule on the case. And there's a silence in court. What's he going to do? And to everyone's surprise, he passes the maximum sentence. 
He says, you will pay for every penny. Everything you've ever done wrong, you will pay it all. And there's a gasp and the guards grab the the boy and as they lead him out, he's looking at his dad. Dad, how could you do this? I thought you loved me. I thought you were for me. And as as they're, they're leading him out, he said, wait. And he took off his wig, he takes off his gowns and he steps from the dock and he walks down and he gets his checkbook. And he says, bring him back. I will write a check for everything I have, everything I own to pay the price for what my son has done. I give everything to redeem him. That's what God did. That's the gospel. You see, when Jesus came to earth, this is what he's saying. He lived a life in accordance with God's law, not to judge the world, but to prove God is right. You are wrong to save the world. He proves God's righteousness by fulfilling the law. And then he redeems us by giving his life on the cross. The only man, who fulfilled the law, he hangs on the cross and the sin of the world is poured upon him and he pays the price. But even better, he doesn't only redeem us, he imputes his righteousness upon us because when he is raised from the dead and when he places his spirit in our lives, we don't only... um, put aside our own life and our our sin and our debt. That's not only gone, we get a brand new life of Jesus coming to live within us with His righteousness towards God. His right relationship now becomes our relationship with God. You see, this is why these verses are so important right in the start of the Sermon on the Mount. Look, when you're in debt, if you've ever been in debt, you know what this is like. And if you've really, really been in debt, you really know what this is like. Because you're, you're spending and you're spending and you're, the, 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 there's nothing left to spend. But what starts happening is all the people around you that you owe are demanding you pay them back with interest. And the interest suddenly starts to become greater than the debt ever was, the amount ever was. And you're, so you're in this hole with no hope of getting out. The load, and and when people are in debt, the load upon them is enormous. You know, one of the reasons, if you don't know this, we do um, debt relief here. And um, Maddie heads up a thing called CAP, uh, Christians Against Poverty. And I I, I can't see it, five people this this year, debt-free. I'm just checking, I'm telling you, five people this year, (laughs) debt-free. I'm... This this is really important because Jesus came to redeem our debts. Okay, when you are in debt, 
the, 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 the load that is on you is so heavy. When Jesus redeems us, He enables us to, to stand up, to, the, to, to put the load off because it is gone. He places His righteousness upon us. But those five people, we have a choice to make when we stand up. When we, when we come to Jesus, we give our life to Him. He forgives our sin, but then we have a choice. You see, we can go back. We can go back to where we were living. And, and we can get ourselves in a hole all over again, or we can walk and follow Jesus. That what, what He does is He enables us to stand up again to get out of the hole completely debt-free and make a choice where we're going to go. And you might go, well, well supposing, I, supposing I kind of, I go in two directions, which many do. Well, that's, that's why um, when, we do, when we do find ourselves in a hole, uh, the Scripture says, mercy is in you every morning and if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive our sin and remove all unrighteousness from us. So, so even if we go, like that, we're, we're, but what he does is he says, you still have a choice. You can either go that way or this way. There's only two roads. And we follow him because we have a new life. And so, and he imputes his righteousness upon us. We're no longer pushed down. We now, we now are free to live. We obey his commands, not because we must, because we want to. Because now He's written His law on our hearts and He's filling, filling us with His life. You see, before we were constantly untying the Lord's commands and life was unravelling. Now we hold His commands close to our hearts and we find abundant life. Does this make sense? Am I, am I, am I, are we tracking? We were unravelling. Now we're walking with Him and following Him and we walk into abundant life. I'm just looking at the time. Look. I've walked with Jesus since I was 13 years old. When He got hold of my life, Everything changed. So I made a choice that I would walk with him. Now along that journey, I had to make some choices. One of them was, what do I do with girls? Well, you know, how do I conduct myself in relationships? I chose to... to to walk a holy life. So the first person I ever had sex with was my wife. I chose that, not because I had to. It wasn't like this, this great burden. Oh, don't get, don't get me wrong. When I did the, you know, well, I can, you know, oh my goodness, the hormones and all that. I mean, don't think he didn't, he didn't save me from that. But my choice was to follow him because he'd pay. Hello. <laughs> it's a butterfly. It's okay. It's, there you go. 
Did you see that? Just one move. <laughs> he need. <laughs> my choice, my heart was won by Jesus. So obeying His commands wasn't an onerous thing. It was, a, it was a choice that I knew that I would do better. That's why I made that choice. And He has blessed my life. He is blessing my life. Now, did we, did we have some difficulties with babies? Yes, we did. That's, that's beside the, 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 the point. I trust God. I gave my life to walk with Him. And what I'm saying to you this morning is when He redeems us, don't mess with His book. Give your life to walk with Him. 